Hello and welcome to a new series of the Abolish the Monarchy podcast brought to you by Republic. And don't forget, if you want to find out more about the issues or Republic, head over to republic.org.uk where you can also join, donate or get involved. Your membership subscription will help Republic do more campaigning and produce more podcasts and YouTube content. So if you haven't already, please do get over there and join up. On this episode, I'm talking to Caroline Fines of the charity consultancy Giving Evidence, which supports the charity sector with detailed intelligence and analysis of donor behaviour, fundraising and the sector more widely. In July 2020, Giving Evidence published a report on the impact of royal patronage on charities. Now, their conclusion was pretty clear. Having a royal patron makes no discernible difference to a charity's income, and royal patronage in general makes no difference to levels of giving in the UK. So, Caroline, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me for a chat. Hello. Now, I should stress that none of this work comes from any opposition to the monarchy, and you make clear in the report that uh, giving evidence and uh, the people that funded this um, study has no view on the merits of the monarchy but uh, the focus is on helping charities understand the value of royal patrons so they can make informed decisions about recruiting and retaining royal patrons is that correct? Yes so this all started some years ago when the somebody very close to um, one of the big charities of which Kate is a patron told me that when Kate goes to visit them they the charity have to pay the cost of her security and that raised in my mind wow well then she must be able to raise enough money for that charity to, at a minimum, cover her own security. Um, otherwise, she's just a net loss to, a net cost to that charity. Um, it turns out that that statement is not actually true about the, them having to cover the cost of security. But nonetheless, it had put in my mind the question of the cost benefit of a royal patronage of a charity and indeed what a patronage of a royal charity is. And it seemed to us a perfectly reasonable question to investigate. And I have been involved with charities and seen many charities try to uh, secure and retain royal patrons. And so it's a reasonable question for charity effectiveness of, well, what are these things and do they help? So that's what we set out to understand. And was there anything that's sort of prompted this study now? Is it something that just sort of felt like it was the right thing to, something you wanted to tackle at this moment? Well, so we, like I said, this arose in my mind a few years ago because of this completely random conversation with this person. And then we bashed out a method. So a friend of mine who's a, um, a social science researcher at Oxford mm. University helped to create a method and we piloted it. And, and I just thought, no one's going to fund this. <laughs> um, and then when the Prince Andrew thing happened in November last year, that obviously put it up the agenda. And I thought, you know what, maybe we should just try. We should just try a bit harder to get mm. some funding to do mm. this. And so that's how it became possible to do it then. And what was interesting is that, I mean, I assume there must be lots of literature about the role and value of charity patrons more generally, but you said in your report that there's next to nothing about royal patrons. I mean, you described your work as unprecedented. I mean, is there a, is there a reason why? I mean, it's such a big, high-profile sort of element of charity work in the UK. Is there any idea why that hasn't been properly looked at? I don't know. I mean, we found that about 
just under 1200 UK charities have a royal patron. There are um, 180,000 charities in England and Wales alone. So actually, it's not that big a proportion of them that have it. So it might just be that it's not that important a question. Hmm. Um, I mean, all we could do is say that we didn't find much literature on this. We can't really speculate on why other people haven't looked at it, or or we can't can't know why other people haven't. I mean, some of it is, I suspect, a bit deferential, that Hmm. people are not wanting to criticise because they might want some of this one day, blah, blah. Um, the, The other thing is that the methods that we needed to use... Um, particularly for understanding the effect of patronages, were extremely complicated. But that said, some of it, some of it was much was relatively easy. So just, but boring. So you know, we had a researcher go through the um, court circular, which, as you know, lists all the engagements that the royals, well, the public engagements that the royals do. Literally, go through for an entire year um, and code whether events were for charities or not. Mm. Um, and that's how we identified that 26% of um, public engagements that the Royals do or did last year are with UK registered charities. And I mean, that's laborious, but it's not technically complicated. So sure. anybody else could have done that. And, and going on from there, I mean, I understand from reading um, your report that there were a number of problems with getting data, not least the accuracy of the data that was available online, but also you made, uh, I don't know whether there's one attempt or various attempts to ask questions of the palace. Um, I mean, were they helpful? No. <laughs> um, so our first question was, there were three research questions. Firstly, what is the royal patronage? Secondly, who gets it? And thirdly, do they help? Like, What difference do they make? And the first question of... Um, what is a royal patronage? Well, we just asked the palace. Um, and, you know, I just wrote and I didn't lie. I just said who we are and we're doing this research. And, um, and we asked various questions like, what is a royal patronage? What does it comprise? What does a charity get? What is the process for choosing the charities that get them? You know, what is the selection process? What are the criteria? Um, how do these things end? Other, you know, other than by the person dying. Um, and you know various other questions, and they said that the only information on them on patronages is on Buckingham Palace's website, which does not really say what a patronage really comprises, nor mm. how they come about, nor how they end, nor sort of what the logic is for them. Um, so I mean, either the palace doesn't know those things, or they do know, but they don't say. But the data that they publish are very low quality and very inaccurate. So, for example, there are several instances where it lists a charity as having a royal patron but doesn't say who the royal patron is, or it will say that it has multiple royal patrons but it only lists one of them, or where the organisation is not identifiable. So, Um, there was something, um, you know, for example, Prince Charles is listed as Colonel-in-Chief of the First Queen's Dragoon Guards, and that has a trust associated with it, which is a charity, but we couldn't figure out what charity it is. Um, and another problem, which is that, oh, the lists are just incomplete. So, for yeah. example, 
Uh, Prince Harry is patron of the Halo Trust and has been since 2013, but that's not on the list of his patronages on the royal website. And that is the charity for which his mother walked through that minefield mm. in Angola. So it's really high profile. So that was kind of a surprise. Um, some of the data are just wrong. So, for example, it lists Prince Andrew as being, um, so we were doing this in November, so just after he stepped down from everything. Mm. Um, it listed him as being a um, patron of the NSPCC's full stop campaign. Well, that campaign finished in 2009. That is to say, it, it ended 10 years ago, but he was still listed as a patron of it. And when I rang the NSPCC to ask, they said, yeah, we've had no involvement with him for 10 years because that thing finished 10 years ago and we've asked the palace to remove that and they haven't. I mean, you know, it's a public institution. It probably ought to be readily available in a digestible form. So it's interesting, even when you prompt them, they don't come back with clarification or any kind of helpful um, database. But you you sort of elaborate on what a royal patronage might offer or how it, how it might interact with the charity. Um, so public engagements, uh, events which are explicitly around fundraising, access to events at the palace, um, association endorsement uh, and profile and press and you you look at what you call dosage so how much engagement a charity actually has with the royal patron through those sorts of activities can you say something about what you found there in terms of what the dosage was and and how was it evenly spread what sort of charities are, are getting the the most out of their patronage yeah, so our first question was, what is a royal patronage? And so having failed to get any answer from the palace, we just looked at what else we could find publicly. And one can get uh, data from the court circular about um, public engagements. Um, and there may well be stuff that goes on behind closed doors, um, but there's no data about that, so we can't include that. So we just looked at um, public engagements. And there, well, this was very surprising that 74% um, of charities that have a royal patron did not get any public engagements with them at all last year. And most of those that got any public engagements uh, got one. So only 1% of all the patronage charities got more than one public engagement in an entire year. Mm. Um, which basically says that you shouldn't, if you're a charity, you are not well advised to seek a royal patron thinking that you're going to see them or not. <laughs> um, and also, I think people take them on thinking that they're going to, you know, that the patron is going to show up and they're going to get lots of press and that they're going to get to have events at palaces and castles and so on. And like I say, 74% of them did not get any events at all in the mm. whole of last year. So so the chances are that, that you won't. So don't take on a patronage thinking that you're going to get lots of that. And, and a lot of them, uh, a lot of most of that uh, remaining 26% only got one event in the year. No, I mean, I don't know whether your study um, answered this question, but of those charities that only got one, would they then expect to have another one the following year or was that kind of a one-off? I don't know. I mean, we we did, uh, we looked at the, like I mentioned before, we looked at the court circular for the whole of 2019 and that was painful enough, frankly. Um, <laughs> so um, there were only a handful of organisations <clears throat> which got more than 10 
um, engagements mm. in the year. Uh, and most of those were organizations that were founded by members of the royal family. Mm. So this is a, a big thing that we see is that charities that are set up by royals are 2% of the patronages, but they get 36% of the public engagements that royals do with their patronage charities. So 2% versus 36%. It's dispro massively disproportionate. Their public If we take public engagements as a indicator of effort, yeah. and it may not be because there may be things going on that we don't, we can't see from the poor circular, but if we take it as it is, then massively disproportionate effort goes into the charities that are set up by them. So for instance, the, um, <clears throat> the charities that got the most public engagements last year were the Royal Foundation of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, that came top with 80. Mm. The Duke of Edinburgh's award came second with 62. The Duke of Edinburgh's International Award Foundation came third with 56. The Prince's Foundation was fourth with 36. So, you know, and then in then there's the Royal British Legion, and then sixth is the Prince's Trust, which got 22. So it's very much skewed towards one that they set yep. up themselves. It seems to me, to me, the analogy seems like the difference between your own children versus godchildren. <laughs> you know, <laughs> with your own children that, you know, you, you know, begat yourself, you put masses of effort in, yeah. whereas with godchildren that you sort of take on a different relationship with, it's much more arm's length and you don't expect to be as involved with them. Now, this is interesting because you made a, uh, a point. You actually cited our um, report on how much the monarchy costs, and you made a point about the work they do for charity being a publicly funded benefit. Uh, but the, one of the findings in your report is that a substantial part of that publicly benefit, funded benefit goes to their own charities. So, I mean, it seems to be a uh, a question that needs to be looked at more carefully in terms of conflict of interest and so on. Yeah, so we found that, as I say, 26% of the public engagements that Royals did last year were with charities. Um, and your data are that the Royals, including um, security, cost about £345 million a year. So 26% of that is £90 million. So there's, in effect, uh, £90 million worth of public money going to their patronly charities. Uh, which are very much, as I said, their activity is very much skewed to, like more than a third of that goes mm. to the 2%, which I found over there. So, yeah, you could see that as a publicly funded benefit to those charities. That That's not giving evidence his role to, to sure, take course. that up. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, was there any difference in that split, depending on which royal? Did you break it down to each royal? So, for example, was Prince Charles's, were his engagements a higher percentage or a lower percentage that were his own charities or did you not break it down that far? We did not look at that but um, like I just mentioned that uh, two of the nine or so charities that get the most um, engagements mm. are found by him. Yep. Um, I mean, actually, over I, I don't, we didn't do that analysis, but I would guess that it's the skew is highest for William and Kate because they um, are, um, I think I'm right in saying that Kate is patron of nine things and William 12, so their numbers are pretty small. Mm. Um, but they did 80 engagements last year with their own foundation. So they can't be doing that many with... no charities that they've taken, pre-existing charities that they took on. Mm. And 
how I mean I guess one useful thing is to sort of think about non-royal patrons I mean within the sector generally are patrons generally expected to do more than this um, I mean if if they are I mean are patrons usually famous people I mean what how does a patronage normally work in the chapter? it's very uh, variable it's a very ill-defined and varied and bespoke relationship so some do a great deal and some do not very much um, and some are famous and some are much less famous um, but we didn't really look at others we just looked at the royals i mean the advantage of looking at the royals is that there is a list albeit subject to the data problems that i've mentioned there is a list of which royal is patron of what charity and what public engagements they do whereas you know, a friend of mine is involved in a charity and Michael Palin is a um, patron of it, for example. Or, mm. you know, Bill Bryson is involved with the National Churches Trust, for example. Well, the National Churches Trust doesn't publish a list of every time its patron does a public engagement with it because it's, it's just a completely different thing. Yep. And the obligation on Bill Bryson in terms of public accountability is completely different. Of course, yeah, that's fair. So, so yeah. you, can't, you sort of can't analyse it, really. Hmm. So we just stuck to looking at royals. Yeah, well, I suppose that is the big difference is that private patrons are not, there's no accountability, as you say. There's no reason to expect measurements to be published and so on. Um, one of the other things is, I mean, this has struck me before, and I've always wanted to sort of look at this, and I think you've sort of done that, which is the their choices of charities, which is always, on the whole, not always, but on the whole, it seems that they are fairly safe, if I can put it like that. So things which aren't particularly controversial, things which are already fairly well known, and there might be sport, environment, animals, rather than what you might think of as more controversial or more edgy issues such as homelessness, for example, although I know um, William and Harry have done some things on that. But I mean, was that was there a pattern there that you picked up on? So, so like, as I mentioned, we had three research questions. Firstly, what is a patronage? And, and I've, I've spoken about that. Um, the... Second was who gets them, and so we uh, once we'd got this massive list of who is patron of what, uh, we then used a whole pile of different data sets to figure out where each of these charities is, um, and uh, we compared the patrony charities with where um, charities are um, in. Britain in general, so we can see which regions are over-patroned and which are under-patroned. And geographically, the Southwest, the Southeast, and London are massively are, are over-patroned. Mm. I mean, they have more than their fair share. London, massively so. And that, by the way, is not just because loads of charities have their headquarters in London. Even if you account for that, it's still uh, over-patroned. Whereas Everywhere else is under-patroned. So the most under-patroned regions are the Northwest, East Midlands, Yorkshire and the Humber and so on. Um, and so basically most patron charity patronages are near where the royals have homes. Yes. And or where their, um, you know, their titles relate to. Um, so uh, that is to say this is not a redistributive um, intervention. <laughs> and in terms of sectors, um, we compared the set of um, charities. We used the International Classification of Non-Profit Organisations and somebody gave us a coding of every charity in the country 
uh, under its coding for that, which is very helpful. So we use that to identify the category for each charity that has a royal patron, and then all the charities in the country. And again, we looked at which are most over-patroned versus under-patroned. And the most over-patroned sectors are culture and sport is the top, and then environment and animals, and then health. And the ones that are most under-patroned are religion is the most under-patroned. Mm. Um, and then social services, which includes um, um, like daycare for older people, for example, um, or out of school, out of um, home care, and then community employment and housing, uh, and surprisingly education, actually. I, mean, I guess this is one of the... <clears throat> One of the things with education, I mean, Prince Charles set up his own education charity, so um, that's where he channels his efforts on that, I think, and uh, that might have something uh, to do with that. But uh, um, you you did also, I guess it's worth saying, an interesting point, that you, you worked this out by using pre-existing um, categories and definitions of... Yeah, so it wasn't our classification. So we were very keen to... We're trying to do science here, so we... Mm wanted to remove our own judgment where every at every occasion that we could we removed our own judgment so we used somebody else's classification of types of non-profits and we used somebody else's work to decide which charity is in which bucket within that classification mm. um, and like i say we used data where they were available and where they weren't we didn't so for example on what a patronage is um then as i say um quite possibly it involves activity behind closed doors, but you can't do science if you've got no data. <laughs> so we just didn't look at that. And then on the, on the question that I guess we'll come to about what effect charities, uh, charity patronages, royal patronages, on, on the question that we'll come to, I guess, later about the effect that royal patronages have on charities, uh, we thought that perhaps they have an effect on revenue, but they might also have an effect on staff morale or on beneficiary outcomes or other things. But the only criterion on which we could get just say so the the other thing that we looked at in terms of uh, which organizations get patronages is we looked at the size of the charity and on average the royal patronee charities are huge compared to the charity sector as a whole so um, they are on average 30 times bigger than the average UK charity um, and charities that have multiple royal patrons are on average I think 80 times bigger than the average charities. And I suppose that raises questions which I mean, on the question the, the last of your three questions which we'll come on to in a second is that you know would a large well-known well-established wealthy charity have to receive the same benefit from royal patronage, patronage than one that is perhaps put on the map by receiving a royal visit. But um, so I, I guess the, the benefits might differ depending on the charity that's receiving that patch. Well, they might do, they might do. I mean, Kate, you know, on her wedding became patron of the Natural History Museum. Well, nobody needed her to tell them that the Natural History Museum exists. <laughs> you know, it's been one of the top attractions in London for years. Yeah. Um, and similarly, the National Portrait Gallery um, whereas some of the others that they take on are much smaller mm. um, and much less well known. So she took on a thing 
called the Art Room, which works with children. I think that is now defunct or has uh, had to sort of merge into something else. Um, but um, yeah, so maybe they get uh, a different kind of uh, benefit. Sometimes, it, like I said, the the connection seems to be to where they live or where their um, title is. Mm. Um, and you know where they live, or their historic titles in particular, are essentially you know random acts of history at this point. Um, so you know if you look at the air ambulances, for example, the UK has twenty something air ambulances, and they all look after a different region. Um, but the and the ones that have royal patronages are it's really conspicuous that they are where. Um, royals have titles or homes. So William, for example, is patron of the one in London. Uh, the Duke of York is patron of the one in York. Um, the Duchess of Cornwall is, I think, patron of the one in Cornwall. You know, and, I mean, that, that is to say that the, the selection criteria are much more to do with um, where houses and titles are than they are to do with, presumably, either merit of the organisation or um, the ability of the organisation to benefit from having royal patron. So this comes on to, you know, your last question, do they help? I mean, the impact, and I suppose, if I'm right, if I've understood this properly, there are two things here, which you're sort of touching on there with the air ambulances, which is that does the individual charity benefit compared to charities that don't have royal patrons? And does the charity sector generally benefit from having the royals being part of that sector, um, which I think you look at. Graham, do you want me to just explain what we found? Yeah. Because it's really complicated. <laughs> so why don't you just do a <laughs> leading question, which is like, okay, so your third question was, do they help or what did you find? And yeah. I'll just explain. So, yeah, the third question was whether royal patronages of charities help. And in short, we could find no evidence that they help. Um, <clears throat> this story is pretty complicated. Um, like I mentioned, we could only look at revenue and it may well be the royal patronages have effects on other things like access to policymakers or staff morale or whatever, but we could get no, no data on those. So we looked at revenue. Um, and we looked at this firstly in a relatively simple way. So we, um, Looked, so there are some charities that have patients that are that have what I call a natural comparator set. So there are lots of air ambulances. They all do basically the same thing in different parts of the country. Some have royal patients and some don't. Does anything happen to the revenue of those air ambulances when they take on a royal patron that does not also happen to all the others at that time? And so we published some graphs that are just raw graphs of revenue. And you can see the revenue kind of bounces around. There's a line for each air ambulance. So there are 20 something lines on the graph and they sort of bounce around. And then the ones when a charity gets a royal patronage, its line turns red. And you can see with your eyes that nothing much happens to um, those uh, to the ambulances when they get a royal patron than that doesn't also happen to the others. The same is true for children's hospices. Again, the UK has loads of those. Some have royal patrons. And if you look at the graph of all of their revenue with it turning red when they get a royal patron, nothing much happens. I mean, kind of nothing happens <laughs> to the revenue of ones when they get a patronage versus when they didn't. So we did that for a few 
categories of natural comparator. And that indicates, doesn't prove, but it indicates that there is no effect on revenue. Okay. We also did this analysis during much using much more complicated statistical methods called regression analyses. Um, and um, that is explained in the report. I'm not going to go into it because it will take easily half an hour to explain. Um, and basically that, sh that didn't work. So that was not able to find any effect. So in statistics, sometimes you get a analysis that, that shows <clears throat> no effect. And sometimes you get something, so evidence of no effect, and sometimes you get no evidence of effect, i.e. the thing was inconclusive. And we actually had both here. So the sort of simple method indicates no effect, and the more complicated method just couldn't find an effect. It just sort of blew up. <laughs> um, but so what this overall says is, if you are a charity, you should not take on a royal patronage expecting either to see your royal patron very much, nor for it to help you much with revenue. I don't know whether you've seen the brand finance report about the value of the monarchy to Britain's economy. And this, is, this came out, it's about five years in a row, I think. Um, last one was 2017, in which they claim that the monarchy gave a annual uplift of £150 million a year through the charity sector. But I mean, that doesn't ring true compared to what you're saying you're saying that there's really no discernible impact of the royals on the charity sector uh i do not know how they arrived at that number um our analysis like i say we went to charity by charity and that um indicates on the one hand there's no evidence of effect and on the other hand there's evidence of no effect we also looked across uh sort of on a more macro basis so we looked at you know, is it the case that a royal, sometimes people think that royals encourage generosity or they encourage charitable activity because they sort of are cheerleaders, high profile cheerleaders for it. And so we decided to investigate that a bit. And again, it's very difficult to get counterfactuals for this. So, but what we did was to look at, well, okay, is there any relationship between um, the proportion of the number of charity patronages in any particular region of the country with the proportion of people in that region who give to charity, hmm. what's called participation in giving. Uh, and we could only do that for England, not for the whole of the UK. And the answer is no. <laughs> <There isn't. laughs> so if you look sense. at the correlation graph, it's on, it's in the report and the line is flat. You know, if it were the case that royal patronages encouraged generosity then you might expect the graph to have it you know of um participation in giving on one axis and the number of royal patronages in a particular region on the other axis you'd expect there to be a line right that slopes upwards and there isn't the line is flat so so we looked and looked in lots of different ways and we could not find any evidence that either the royals mm. have an effect at a micro level on the individual charities nor on at a macro level on the generosity of a region or of a country and i mean you've as i understand you've been in the charity sector for a long time you must have a pretty good understanding of what why people do give money and i, I imagine it has lots to do with uh, their own experiences if they're giving to a cancer charity for example or you know what issues matter to them i mean does this all kind of ring true that i mean I, it's never in terms of the 
just why would it make a difference? Why would a patron make a difference? Why would royalty make a difference? I mean, does it ring true that people have all sorts of other reasons which make more sense for why they give and why charities, certain charities are more successful than others? Well, there are lots of reasons that people give. People typically choose a cause because uh, it's something close to them. You mentioned, you know, cancer. That, that's often the case with health things. Sometimes people give to charities of which they are what you might call a user. So, you know, a theatre or parks or whatever. Um, often people give... The, the single biggest driver of whether people give is whether they are asked. Yeah. Um, and... Um, but there, there certainly are instances where people give to a charity because they want to get to go to some event because it's going to be terribly glamorous and or because there are some people there who they want to meet. Mm. Um, and so there are examples of um, William and Kate, for example, um, attending. Um, they went to a fundraising dinner in New York for... Um, St. Andrews University, where they met, and that was a $10,000 a head um, dinner. Yeah. And so there are some, you know, examples yeah. like that. And certainly um, there are uh, dinners and events that the royals attend, uh, which are for, exclusively for people who've given to yeah. that. Specific but, but I suppose that comes back to the one of the earlier points that, you know, if you're not getting those events, which 75% aren't and 25% are only getting one, then that's not a benefit you're going to get from them. So it's, in a way, if you're going to get a benefit, it's going to be because someone is highly motivated motivated and wealthy enough to, to go to an event, which is... Uh... Yeah, I think sometimes people think that having a royal patron is a mark of quality. Hmm. But I really would dispute that because, I mean, we just don't see it in the data. You know, like, what, what reason is there to think that the, I don't know, Cornwall Air Ambulance, which has a royal patron, is better than the, I'm going to make this up, I don't even know if it exists, the, the Northwest Air Ambulance, which doesn't. Right? I mean, that's entirely just a product of history and therefore where the royals have their titles. So because the selection process and criteria are so... Um, opaque there's there's essentially no reason to think that that is the case and why would you think that the royal opera house is necessarily better than opera north or english national opera yeah. it was uh, just kind of the first and you would you would, <laughs> you would assume that a, a regular person wanting to donate to an ambulance service would donate to their local one and regardless of whether or not it's got a, a patron and uh, it wouldn't even cross their mind whether they got a patron really it would be that that's the one that serves their area therefore that's the one they're going to um, donate to but um, and a slightly trivial point um, which you did touch on is, is the notion that the royals themselves would be donors but uh, and also trustees which I don't think they ever are or rarely anyway um, I do not know of any instance where a member of the royal family is a trustee of a charity mm. so being a trustee involves personal liability yeah. and I suspect that they are advised uh, not to become trustees on that basis. So slightly weirdly, they, in my view, they are not even trustees of the things they set up themselves. But in terms of being donors, I mean, they, you, you mentioned that you heard that someone, one of the royals had given £1,000 or something, but I mean, it's not something which charities regularly experience, I take it. 
That one story of a senior member of the royal family giving a thousand pounds is literally the only story I have ever heard about a charity receiving money from a member of the royal family. Um, actually, that's not true because uh, Harry and Meghan have done some more recently. Um, we did not do a survey of charities to ask whether they had received them, but um, so there may be many that we don't know about. But as you say, I've been in this sector 20 years and that's the only story I've ever heard. Yeah, I, I was told once from someone that was at a fundraising event that Prince Philip sidled up to them and gave them an envelope or sort of, you know, here's a donation and they opened it and there's a £20 note in there. But um, I wasn't going to... It was, I think they're a little bit surprised at the size of the donation. But um, just moving, sort of getting to the end of this, but the... I'm kind of curious as to what sort of reaction there was to the report because it got quite a lot of press coverage. And I mean, was there uh, a lot of reaction in the media and from the public? But also, was there what, was there a lot of reaction and engagement in within the charity sector on this? So I had no reaction at all from the palace, um, and the charity sector. Uh, well, I mean, to me, the most joyous thing or the most rewarding thing was a fundraiser wrote to me and said this is really helpful because trustees are always telling us that we should try to get a royal patron because it would really help us to raise money and this is helpful to know that basically it probably won't it's how like it, it helps her to make an evidence-based decision about how to run her charity and all of giving evidence's work is about trying to provide or highlight evidence such that charities and donors can be more effective and so that kind of message and there were several indicates that it has been helpful in that respect yes indeed um and yeah very useful in a wider debate which i know wasn't the intention and wasn't isn't a debate that uh, giving evidence gets involved in but certainly the they do lots of charity is an argument they often use to, or is often used in their favor um and i think this is quite a useful uh bit of evidence to um to help inform that wider debate uh about the future of the monarchy but um look, thank you so much for coming uh onto the podcast and talking about this it's really really interesting and it's a fascinating report which is online uh, available online as a pdf i believe and uh, anybody can look at it there is an awful lot of data and detail in there so it's um plenty for people to get their teeth into um and yeah thank you very much for for coming on great thank you so thanks again to caroline fines for taking us through this fascinating report you can find out more about giving evidence and the report on royal patrons at giving-evidence.com and you can find out more about republic at republic.org uk where you can add your name to our email list join donate and find out how you can get involved with the campaign you can also find links to republic's youtube channel facebook twitter and instagram accounts that's all for me bye for now